Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Tech Swamp. We have our host and friendly membership team here today. Hey Brad. Why hello there. Well hello Caitlin, what up? You know, just Tube City chilling. Tube City chilling because we are in <laughs> Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, live in, uh, I don't know, from the Twin the Cities. Time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Alex. <laughs> and today we're going to hit you with a special episode of Tech Swamp, not just from Minneapolis, but also from developed Minneapolis, which is really exciting. Um, so that our podcast today is going to include remarks from the founder of Minneapolis's Finnovation Lab. Um, Congressman Dean Phillips, and it's going to include insights from our panelists. Uh, we'll be talking through online platforms, how to use the tools and connections through those platforms, and what the app economy looks like here in Minneapolis. But first, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. November 10th, 2001, 18 years ago this month, Apple shipped the first iPod. The iPod, was design- the iPod design was inspired from the 1958 Braun T3 transistor radio. The iPod wasn't an immediate success because there were two main problems. The first, it was a Mac-only device, and the second was that it was expensive at $400 a pop. Um, or iPop. <laughs> uh, believe, it, <laughs> believe it or not, you could only store a thousand songs on the OG iPod. But not too long after the release of the first edition, a new version was released that allowed users to store about double that, so 2,000 songs. Fun fact, in 2014, some of the first edition iPods were going for $90,000, but now you can find one on eBay from $85 to $5,000. And that's all for Tech History. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin and Brad, what are some of the top tech headlines? So members of the House Intelligence Committee wrapped up testimonies in the impeachment inquiry for President Trump. And here's a look at the numbers, the witnesses, and what this means moving forward. So public testimony was delivered over the course of a two-week span with five days of active witness testimony. There were a total of 12 witnesses who testified publicly and 17 behind closed doors. Witnesses included former National Security Council official Fiona Hill, U.S. Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sondland, and Ambassador William Taylor, the top American diplomat in Ukraine. Moving forward, it's not completely clear what will happen. Last week, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi told reporters that the committee will draft a report of their findings and deliver them to the House Judiciary Committee, but the timeline is up to the committees. More recently, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff, said the committee will not rule out looking into matters outside of Ukraine, meaning that the impeachment inquiry could have an additional layer. We'll be sure to keep you updated on the impeachment inquiry into President Trump in future episodes of TechSmop. Now for some good news out of Washington. Leaders on Capitol Hill have successfully avoided another government shutdown for now. Last week, the Senate passed stopgap funding to last the next month, meaning legislators will need to pass another spending bill before leaving for the winter in-state district work period. The temporary funding bill is designed to give appropriators more time to decide how to divvy up $1.37 trillion in spending between the 12 annual spending bills, as well as approve the final bills. Despite the small window, members from both parties in the House and Senate are cautiously optimistic about future discussions and legislators can return home for the Thanksgiving holiday with a recent legislative win. The FCC is moving forward on auto airwaves in an effort to promote driver safety. Chairman Ajit Pai announced last week that the FCC will auction the sought-after spectrum worth up to $600 billion. And that's Kylie Jenner's worth times about 600 
which is a lot. 600 Kylie Jenners is wealthy. Anyways, <laughs> this move will allocate the lower 45 megahertz of the band for unlicensed use, such as Wi-Fi, while setting aside up to 30 megahertz for vehicle safety technology. Not all of the details of Pi's proposal are known, but the FCC will vote on the issue on December 12th, 2019. Before we sign off what's brewing, we're going to hit you with some 2020 election updates. First up, ads. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey recently announced the platform will no longer run political ads. The announcement was made at the end of October, but was implemented last week. This move comes after Facebook's controversy that allows political campaigns to run false information. Twitter says it will allow ads with messages about issues such as civil engagement, the economy, the environment, and social equity, but the ads can't advocate for or against a specific political, judicial, legislative, or regulatory outcome related to those matters. Google is also wading into this issue by extending a ban on political campaigns targeting advertising at people based on their supposed political leanings. Campaigns can still target ads based on gender, age, and location, but ads based on political leanings are no longer doable. These restrictions are already enacted in the UK and in the EU, but we'll see worldwide implementation on January 6th, 2020. The next round of debates will take place on December 19th, 2019. Right now, it's not clear who exactly will qualify for the debate, but we'll be sure to keep you updated in the next episode of Tech Swan. And that's all for what's growing. And as we mentioned earlier, this episode of Tech Swamp The Deep End is going to feature speakers and participants from our developed Minneapolis event. Um, first, we're kicking off with remarks from Congressman Phillips, and following him is the founder of the Finnovation Lab and Finnegan's Gr Brewing, where our event was held, Jackie Berglund. And thanks for having me. I, I'm, I'm here because I, I want to see Minneapolis and St. Paul and the Twin Cities become uh, tech hubs that I think we should be uh, and need to find the resources to and the magnetism to attract more and I celebrate those of you who are investing in that uh, with your own endeavors and um, and I'm someone who's built businesses in this community for many years and my foremothers and forefathers before me and I would suspect that any of you who have built successful businesses big or small would know that without some dynamic tension and thoughtfulness and respect and hashing out good ideas no matter where they come from you can't succeed and and I want to get people talking again. So anytime I see people who are doing interesting things, convening uh, in a great space and place like this, uh, it, it excites me. And, um, but I'm here to celebrate all of you. Um, I wish I had time to get to know each of your enterprises and the work you're doing. But I wanted to say thank you uh, for taking the risk of capital and time and energy. Uh, I want to thank the, the organization for bringing everybody together and Finnegan's for, for hosting. Um, and want to let you know that you've got an ally in Congress. Uh, I want to support your efforts. Uh, in fact, we just completed the Congressional App Challenge, uh, had young people submit ide ideas uh, from all around the country. Uh, we're going to select some of the winners soon. Uh, we're trying to inject some new thinking into a place that needs a whole lot more of it. So my appeal to you and my invitation is uh, give some thought to what you might be working on and how it could actually benefit a place that is not just in need of it, but in fact, desperate for it. And to that end, uh, I've testified now a couple times in front of the Committee for the Modernization of Congress. We actually set up a, a, a temporary committee, a task force, 
uh, led by two co-chairs, Democrat and Republican, who are entertaining all kinds of ideas to improve how we do things, including technology. So there is a conduit to the ideas now going actually to the leadership and ultimately hopefully hopefully we'll vote soon on the House floor in the first set of changes. Um, and thank you all so much for coming and thank you so much to the fabulous work this organization is doing to support small businesses and startups. That's a big piece of what we're about here at Finnegan's. Um, how many have tried Finnegan's before? How many knew about the beer? Okay, great. How many knew 100% of the profits went back to feeding the hungry? Oh, that we're doing better. That usually it's half and half. And how many of you knew we had a brewery downtown? You guys, this is the best response I've ever had. <laughs> usually half the hands go down. Okay, so, uh, so I'm Jackie. I'm the founder of Finnegan's. I'd like to just tell you a little bit about the history of Finnegan's and then where we're sitting today, how this came to be. Um, we are a 20-year-old beer company. We're the first beer company in the world to donate 100% of our profits back to the community. And we are the second longest running 100% donation model in the country, second only to Newman's Own Foundation. And Newman's Own Foundation has been a huge mentor to me and inspired me to start this business. And really, I was very passionate about a, a business model that could do well and do good. So the social piece of that and really understanding that we needed an economic engine to be able to do the good we wanted to in the community and seeing that the grant money is, is diminishing, there's more people that are fighting for it. And so that was a part of kind of my visioning. In 2014, I received a Bush um, Foundation Bush Fellowship. Um, and my idea that I pitched was to create the Finnovation Lab, which is on the fourth floor, which is a space for social entrepreneurs, social business people to grow and launch businesses. And we also have a Finn Fellowship program. And we have Michelle Marins, who's on the panel tonight, who is one of our Finn Fellows, um, who won. Yay, it's a big deal. Um, there, was, there were several hundred applications, and her first cohort was five people, of which Michelle was one. And now we have a cohort of nine. So we're, we're supporting launching businesses that have a social mission or some kind of social good in what they're doing. It's a big, broad tent. We have several tech companies, and you'll hear from Michelle tonight, too. But we are supporting. I guess to Dean's point of growing businesses here in the community. And I also agree that we've lost a ton of ground over the last 20, 30 years. And I think we're seeing more and more groups like ours that are, what, what is it that the startup needs? And really when I came up with the Finnovation Lab idea, I thought 19 years ago, what did I need that really would have been helpful instead of working out of my sister's basement with no heat and no office, right? And it's like, it would have really would have been great to have a space where I worked with like-minded people, had some access to mentoring, had some access to networking, and access to capital, which is a piece of what we're working on on the fourth floor too. So I think the more types of organizations like the Finnovation Lab and like the work that you guys are doing, creating community and networking and sharing ideas and sharing networks, it, it makes a huge difference. And I think the more we do that here, the more we're gonna see our startup scene start to ignite. And now we're gonna kick it to our panel. Our panel for Developed Minneapolis was moderated by Ashley Durkin Rixey, the Communications Director for ACT, the App Association. We'll also be hearing from Parag Shaw, the founder of Vimos, Michelle Marins, the founder of We Sparkle, Casey Schultz, the Director of Twin City Startup Week, and Landon Zinda, the Legislative Director for Congressman Tom Emmer. And now I'm going to let Ashley take it from here and ask Parag his first question of the panel. Tell us a little bit more about Vimos and the opportunities that you saw in the hospitality software space. It's 
uh, you know, it's a big industry. And why was it so ripe for disruption and taking on some more technology-backed tools? First of all, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, for 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 me, I mean, I've weirdly always been in hospitality. I have no reason why. I think I just like eating and drinking a lot, um, and I and I come to frequent breweries like this. So uh, I think I think for me it was a shift of e-commerce. Like if you if you look at companies like Amazon, eBay, um, and, and everything that's sort of happening that personalization aspect, it wasn't happening in hospitality, right? Like. How many of you, I think there was a number of hands that were raised earlier when Jackie was talking that have been here before, right? Um, when you come back, what does that experience look like, right? Is it a very personalized experience? Do they know what you've ordered before? Um, are they recommending items based on your actual taste? Um, do you like darker beers? Do you like lighter beers, hoppier beers, whatever that is? Um, we just didn't find that happening at Vimos, and so we really wanted to create a very personalized experience for everyone that walked into a bar, brewery, restaurant, um, and, and sort of have that sort of Amazon experience, right? Where it's like, Amazon knows what I want to order before I even want to know what I need to order. Um, and so we wanted to bring that to hospitality and, and really create an experience, because at the end of the day, that's what we're all about here in hospitality is, is that experience. So um, if you don't get that, then you, know, you can go to the liquor store and drink at home for a lot cheaper. Uh, but you know, we're all here for an experience, and we want to get the bartender to know who we are, they know our name, know what we've drank before, uh, and really give us a recommendation we're going to enjoy. Sorry, I'm just going to talk a little loud so you can hang on okay. to the microphone. So everything's on our phones. Our, our reservations for dining, tickets to concerts, to nightclubs. What do you hear from your clients about the way apps have changed things for their customers? I think for hospitality specifically, but even more global than that, like, apps have brought people closer together, right? It's allowed you to focus more on your experiences than worrying about, did I forget my paper ticket at home on the way to the Twins game? Um, you know, did I, do, how do I pay for something because I forgot my wallet or I don't know where it is? Um, I, think, I think the digital experiences have really gotten people closer together and allowed for, again, a more personalized, specific experience. Um, and so, you know, for hospitality, that is, our customers are requiring that because people are going to other means. People are going out and saying, well, Netflix is now my competition, right? Because I can stay at home and I can get my recommendations and I can go to the liquor store and get my beer. How does a Finnegan's Brewery compete with that? How does the bar next door compete with that? Well, imagine if they knew your name when you walked in. Imagine if they knew exactly what you spent and what you were buying. Um, sort of that, that airline model hey, we're gonna expedite you coming in, we're gonna give you a new line, we can really focus on having you understand what that, what that inside experience looks like versus having to worry about, I gotta look through this whole menu, I gotta understand it, am I making the right decision now? All those things sort of change in a more personalized model and allow you to really enjoy yourself a lot more. Um, and that's really what we're all about and that's what we're hearing is taking all, you know, even the payment side, right? Like, having to start a tab and pull your credit card out and then by the time you're too intoxicated, like you don't know if you need to go and close your tab or I forgot my credit card at the bar, like all that stuff is going away now, right? It's all about the experience, it's all about understanding what you wanna do in that moment and that's what's most exciting for us. Thank you. And one of the most interesting things about you're in a data-driven business that you're taking, and bars and nightclubs have been taking this in forever, 
But what's changed is the technology to do something with it. And one of the things that I found so interesting about what you guys do at Vimos is you've made data ownership a real cornerstone of the company and who that data belongs to and what they can do with it. Can you tell us a little more about that? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone in this room that your data is everywhere. Um, I think everyone's probably has some social accounts, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Your data is everywhere, and it's becoming a more hotbed of how that data is being used, um, how companies are monetizing that data, right? I mean, Facebook is a for-profit company at the end of the day. So um, for us, it was really important that data is a really big part of our business. Um, and we wanted to make sure that not only are the businesses using it properly, but you as, as guests or consumers of, of these venues are also being able to understand how this data is being used to enhance your experience. So some of the data we collect, um, similar to e-commerce sites, are demographic information, right? Like who you are, where you're coming from, why you're here, is it, this, is it your first visit, is it your 10th visit? What is that information? And then we match it with the spend that's happening inside the POS system. So what particular things are you buying? What brands are you buying? Or if you're at a bar, are you buying Coors Light versus Budweiser? Um, what does that look like? And how do we present that back to you? That's the key for all of us here is it's not that we're scared. I think for most of us that data is being collected, but if it's provided to us in a positive way where you walk in and they go, hey, Mr. Smith, your Budweiser is waiting for you, that's a great experience. Or hey, you know, we know you bought six drinks tonight. Here is a free Uber ride home, you know, thanks to, I'll use Philips Vodka as an example, right? <laughs> Whatever that ends up being, like I think that becomes a really cool experience for us as consumers and we're willing to share a little bit more of our data in order to get a better experience um, throughout the night. And Michelle, let's talk a little bit about WeSparkle. So you're also a business-based software tool. And so what opportunity did you see? What kind of businesses do you serve? Yes, so um, we are focused specifically on trying to help uh, women of color entrepreneurs. And one of the most popular businesses that women of color are starting or growing are salons. And so I actually worked in a salon <laughs> Uh, for the past year and really understood the challenges that they were having and what I found was that about They were spending about 40% of their time just on administrative tasks like scheduling appointments and Answering the same questions over and over again from customers and that's really time taken away from them um, Being able to work on their business. That's something that I heard a lot from them was I feel like I'm working in my business instead of on my business um, and so the tool has been really helpful. It's very easy to use and it's kind of modeled because a lot of customers were already text messaging their stylists, you know, at 10 p.m. at night or 3 in the morning uh, to schedule appointments. And so this um, really is allowing the customers to go through the channels that feels natural for them, that's easy to use, um, but doing in a way that uh, doesn't burden the, the business owner too much. You know, I've always wanted to start a business. My mom was the first business owner I ever knew. Um, and ever since I was really young, I wanted to start one, but I also um, felt, you know, it's kind of scary to be on your own and doing something completely new and building something new. Um, and so it took me quite a while to finally come to this. Um, and I think it was because of the Finnovation Fellowship, having that fellowship provide financial support, mentorship. Jackie was my mentor who's She's amazing. <laughs> she really is a rambunctious 
social entrepreneur. Um, she was the one that really encouraged me and helped guide me um, and make sure that I was, you know, really grounded in social enterprise. So what is happening here, both at the very local level and the state level, to really get the tech community here off the ground and get at the resources that it needs? Some of, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the opportunities? So I'll just kind of pass this down the line. I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> so um, I work for an organization called Beta, and we're a local nonprofit that we are a startup accelerator that focuses on early stage startups, and we also put on Startup Week. So we are committed to um, really launching the next big startup in Minnesota through this year-round programming. So I have pretty unique insight into, first, the countless accelerators that exist in this ecosystem. We are so lucky in Minnesota that we not only have the really great um, universities and education system that the congressman was referring to, but we also have um, a wider, we have, I moved here from San Francisco, so from the whole startup scene, and I've never seen as many startup accelerators in any community outside of Silicon Valley. So I think we should give ourselves a pat on the back for that. So if you're an entrepreneur who needs support, funding, advice, mentorship, um, there, there is a startup accelerator for you. We have Lunar Startups, which focuses on underrepresented founders. Um, we have Beta, which focuses on early stage founders. And then we also have like Target has an accelerator, um, Techstars, Generator. I mean, like I, the list goes on and on. So first of all, I'll say we have an amazing ecosystem for supporting our entrepreneurs. And then the state of Minnesota has um, just announced Launch Minnesota, which is actually putting dollars behind these programs where you can, if you're um, a high-tech high startup, you can actually get up to like over $30,000 in grant funding to help start your company or in operating costs. They brought back the angel tax credit, which we're seeing, I'm seeing firsthand um, by giving tax breaks to angel investors, they're actually taking money that would otherwise be dormant and just sitting in like bank accounts or, or um, investments, and they're actually putting it back into our startup community. Um, and I'm seeing that firsthand where uh, a startup that works out of WeWork was able to hire their first full-time developer because of the angel tax credit. So Minnesota is doing a lot of great work in this area, and, um, and I'm gonna pass it to you because I don't think you've gotten to talk yet. Um, no, I, first, thank you for having me. Um, second, I see a lot of empty glasses, so don't feel embarrassed to go get more drinks. If I, <laughs> if I had to, yeah, we'll take a drink. If I had to listen to me, I'd want a drink. So um, I'm focused a little bit more on the federal side, and um, Congressman Emmer, this audience is a little bit politician and staffer from, or uh, heavy with a Senator Kobachar staffer here, too. Um, but. Um, focusing on the federal level, the congressman is a member of the House Financial Services Committee. He's also, uh, they have a FinTech task force that he's the Republican leader of. He's also the co-chair of the Blockchain Caucus. He is focused on FinTech issues. Um, and I think Minnesota has a lot to offer in those areas. And looking at cryptocurrency, as was mentioned before, it is a technology that is um, very much focused on decentralization and allowing people um, to live and work anywhere, and I think that stands to be a very beneficial thing to get Minnesotans involved in um, entrepreneurial efforts across the country. 
Um, and I think it also provides a lot of um, empowerment to the ind individual in letting them, um, as was said at the beginning, control their own data, know where it's going, know who gets it when and how and how it's used and being able to even monetize their data if they'd like. Um, so at the federal level, we're looking at a lot of um, innovations to help support that stuff here and hopefully that um, is happening in Minnesota too. Um, one of the things that we're definitely talking about as we meet with people around the country is privacy. Um, we've got the GDPR has been in existence for just over a year now. Um, starting January 1st, the state of California will have its own Consumer Privacy Act. And uh, breaking news, <laughs> we hear we may be able to see at least some version of a federal privacy bill as soon as this week. So uh, things are happening at almost every level, state and national. So how is that impacting your business? How do you think about, as we're moving to all these privacy laws, how are you balancing that as an entrepreneur, thinking about how you're gonna integrate that in your business or what you're hearing too from your customers? Yeah, I mean, I think that data is really important that a lot of tech companies, especially emerging ones right now, are thinking about it and um, how can we make sure that you own your own data and that if you choose or elect to share that data, um, that you are fairly compensated for that um, and that it's kept secure. I think, you know, we Sparkle, we definitely, that is a big concern for the business owners that we work with is making sure that their customer, their customer information is kept private. Um, and I think that, you know, there are a lot of, um, even up here in Finnegan's house, in Finnovation Lab, um, there are some companies that are working on, um, if you do share your data, that you, you know, get paid for that data that's being shared. So I think there's a lot of interesting new models that are coming out, and I think that's, that's really important because we need to make sure that as technology becomes even more complex and you're signing off on these, you know, um, forms, you actually understand what you're agreeing to before you do that. And, and to really, if that means kind of slowing down technology in a way and allowing people to catch up and understand what they're agreeing to, I think that's really important. Uh, and then lastly, I'll say from a federal perspective, um, I've been out in D.C. for about a decade. I'm from here. I grew up here. I went to Gustavus, <laughs> how it's usually pronounced. Um, uh, I've seen, you know, net neutrality be a pretty partisan issue. I've seen the California law be relatively partisan. I think this time around things could be different. And when we're talking about individual empowerment, you know, working in the blockchain and cryptocurrency world, the congressman very much identifies with that individual empowerment aspect of that ability to control your own data. And I think you could see this play out in a yeah, nonpartisan way or have people on both sides of this issue regardless of party. Um, and speaking from at least the Republican side, I, I see some people uh, very much identify with the right of the individual and um, the empowerment that that could bring to the market. All right, and I want you to think about this both as you know an entrepreneur and as someone who uses a smartphone. So many years ago, Everything changed as we talked about, and you could suddenly download software to this little fancy phone that you carry. How have the platforms like the App Store and the Google Play Store changed the way you interact with 
software, expose your businesses to global customers, anything like that, for example? I think there's a lot of, you know, question marks with the, the big players, right? Apple and Google, what they're doing, what the future holds, um, how they're using some of this data. Are they a monopoly? What does that look like? Uh, I think you could throw Amazon in the mix now with, with what they're doing on their Alexa side, as well as some of their other products. Um, but I would say it's, it's, it's decreased the time of development, right, to, to get your product to the market. And it's created a avenue where people have these devices already. So to say, download my app, they don't have to go buy a phone, right, or go buy a device or walk over to what, like Circuit City back in the day and, um, and buy a box of software and, and, and having to use your product. So I think just the amount of, of convenience and time to develop some of these products to market have been substantial in entrepreneurs. Um, I think, you know, there's tons of studies and I don't want to quote them because I'm going to be wrong, but the, the cost of going to market in, in, in businesses with technology has reduced drastically, right? You've got middle school students now that can build an app overnight, get thousands and thousands of downloads, have something of value, and if it doesn't work, throw it away with limited resources and time. Um, you look at players like AWS on the, on the serving side um, and hosting side, like there's, there's so many great things that have happened and all of us, better for worse, are on our phones all the time. You're expecting to go on your phones. And one of the mantras, you know, in, in my life, but definitely in Vimos has always been, I think that there's three things that you, you leave home with at all times. First and foremost is your phone and you will turn back if you forget your phone. Um, the second I would say is, is some type of form of payment, which now is on your phone a lot of times. And the last thing is some type of identification, right? Whether that's a driver's license, a passport, whatever that looks like. Um, those are things that are converging, which is neat because all these businesses are now are converging to those things and, and allows us to be more streamlined and allow us to get access to information faster, um, allows us to, to make decisions faster and especially in, in, in lesser quality areas like third world countries, it's made a huge difference to entrepreneurship and, and what that's been able to do from an access standpoint. That's, that's a tough act to follow. That's, you covered a lot of ground. Um, well, I have an anecdote. So I was working at Couchsurfing and we were raising our around and one of the investors at Couchsurfing was the first investor in Uber. And he showed up to our office and, he's, and he pulled up in this black town car because that was what they started off with was these like luxury black town cars. And he gets out and I'm like, oh, you have a car service. He says, yeah, I invested in this app where I just call, I just click a button and they pick me up and they take me where I want to go and that's just how I get around. And everybody at Couchsurfing was just like, whoa. <laughs> and we're like, is this really going to be a thing? And then we had a conversation about like, no, that's not really going to be a thing. Or maybe it was. And, um, and we were, most of us were probably wrong. Um, but as far as, I would really echo what Prague said around the go-to-market the um, investment that you have to have. There's literally you could ha you could spend ten dollars and get a splash page up. I have a friend who um, he loves like just market testing, and so he has all these. He he's uh, addicted to buying domains, so he has a whole like library of domains, and he was like, I'm gonna see if people would buy pre-masticated baby food. Like, how weird is that? It's so gross. And so he like made a splash page and he's a UX designer, so it was really beautiful. And there was like a sign up for our like 
our beta test group, and he got 150 signups just by posting it on Facebook. Like, he paid 10 bucks for Facebook ads or something, you know? And he's like, dude, I've, I have a 25% conversion rate on this. Um, and so it's just stuff like that where, like, you can just test the craziest theories. You can put up a splash, pa splash page. And so all this information is coming into entrepreneurs where I'm a huge, um, when you were talking about how you, Michelle, was spending a year in a nail salon or in a salon to actually do user testing, see the systems that you're trying to, that are broken, that you're trying to fix. I'm a huge fan of design thinking and user experience and lean startup methodology because it's better to get in there and fail fast and get as much data as you can with minimal resources. And I think the way the technology is going is because anybody can make a splash page, anybody can have a website, anybody can buy a domain. Those are all things that were co cost prohibitive even 20 years ago. We're, and we're talking about servers. It's like my husband works for Heroku and they have like a free option. You can run an entire company for free on Heroku if you like don't use enough bandwidth. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, technology is gonna get smaller, it's gonna get faster and it's gonna get cheaper. So, so I think that our generation, I think um, millennials and Gen Z are, are also gaining more power with technology. And I'm looking at the kids coming up these days and they're so much smarter and so much more educated than even we were. Um, so I think things are gonna shift. Like we're gonna get people who are more engaged, more educated, and I think we're gonna see a lot of regulation coming in around data, about, around privacy, um, and anybody, I was talking to Ashley about this earlier, it's like in the gold rush in San Francisco, it was the people selling the shovels that made all the money. So if you can come up with a service that makes it super easy, and I think of like a service like Gusto that does payroll and benefits, they make so much money because all the startups use them and they make it so easy. So if you can figure out that with privacy and data, that would be a great place to be. That's the future, I think. Uh, my, to answer the question, I guess I would continue my mantra of individual empowerment and just give you a couple of anecdotes of it can have massive consequences um, to individual empowerment, but it can also just have a couple small things like I used to go to CompUSA every weekend and wish I could afford um, a game there and never be able to afford anything there. And then um, I remember one time I printed out MapQuest directions and it took me to a dead end and that was the end of that trip because I had to go back <laughs> home. Um, so, so individual empowerment, even small things. <laughs> MapQuest, almanacs that you can never fold. At least you don't have to worry about that with a smartphone. I think that is a wrap here for let's give a big round of applause to our panelists. And one more round of applause for Finnegan's. Thank you all so much for being here. Please grab another drink on us and keep the conversation going. And now it's time for our random identifier. Brad, what do you got for us? All right, we're going back to music. Yes. Band of the month. Great. And in honor of being in the Twin Cities, I am going to choose a Twin Cities band. Oh. And that is Hippocampus. Two words. Nice. Uh, I know this band. Yeah, we yeah. have listened to them quite a few times in They're the great. membership office. Uh, their latest album is not one that I enjoy quite as much, but uh, <laughs> Landmarks, great album. Go and give it a listen. Do you want to tell Alex what you said in the car? 
It, it's just too electronic. It has too Brad many... Brad said, quote... I really hate their last album. It was trash, like kind of like doggy. And he goes, well, you'd probably like it. I was like, <laughs> busy, <true>. are we? <laughs> hey, music's like that. Everyone has different tastes. It's not my fault that you like that music. So do you, do you feel this way? Like this is like their electronic album. Do you feel like that's how people felt when, um, when, I forget where I was going with this. You know, what's his name? When electronic. Who? I can't remember his name. Mumford and Sons. No. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> Could be. It's a little different though. Yeah. Because it's a lot of keyboards and programming, drum tracks instead of actual instruments being played. <laughs> sad. Very sad. But Sorry. great uh, band nonetheless. Yeah. Well, give it a listen. I'm going to give it another listen. I like the album that you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Me too. All right, Caitlin. How about you? Um, okay, so I made a reference to Tube City earlier, yeah. um, and that probably was confusing for some people, um, <laughs> but the reason this place is called Tube City, Minneapolis is called Tube City, is because there are a lot of, like, above-ground skyways. They're called skyways, right? That's yeah. the Skywalks. 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 Skywalks, yes. Like Skywalker. Yes. Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> um, so... My uh, friend has been here a lot for work. She, like, gave me a heads up. There's a lot of uh, skywalks. And so I've been, I'm, like, an infrastructure loser. I'm really excited to see the tubes Mm -hmm. or the skywalk. But I'm calling them Tube City because I've probably talked about the office a million times on this podcast. But um, (laughs) there is a a very, very small subplot on one of the episodes. It's like a flashback where Mm -hmm. Michael Scott wants to create Tube City, which is a bunch of... (laughs) A bunch of hamster tubes around yeah. the office and then put hamsters in the tubes and have them run around. So I'm like, Minneapolis is Tube City. There's tubes but everywhere, people. but for people. His dream has been recognized. Yes. Yeah. Tube City is real. And yeah. Brad and I walked in a tube today. We did. Um, we had a meeting and we successfully walked from the meeting, which is about a 10 minute walk from our hotel. Wow. Through the tubes. We navigated it. Yeah. Brad was very great leader in the tubes. Did not have to wear a coat. It yeah. Was a big step. That's yeah. awesome. So I'm very pro Tube City. Yeah. Excited to be here. Yeah. <laughs> um, mine is not Minneapolis related, but it is related to my random identifier from last month, okay. which is that I have watched one of the new Netflix movies, <laughs> <laughs> um, A Night Before Christmas, K N I G H T. It's another Vanessa Hudgens, um, just Banger. special. <laughs> Here's what I want to say. I'm, I, I don't want to like give away too much, but this movie has everything. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to go watch it. Listen, Christmas spirit and giving. So, like, try and put the human spirit, really. Um, Time travel. Check. Danger in the form of a lake of ice. Oh, whoa. That could crack at any moment. Whoa. (laughs) There's technology, because Alexa is basically a character. Oh, Um, yes! Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And um, also, one of the like love storylines uh, involves binge watching Netflix. So I just feel like so meta. Yeah, like a lot of things have really come together in this movie. And the things that they binge watch are obviously Netflix like titles, but it's like Netflix original movie. So it's just like there are a lot of there are a lot of things that like really come together. Easter eggs, isn't that yeah. what that's called? I think that's what that's yeah. called. Um, and just I just called. feel I um, you know again want to reiterate. I love this genre of sort of like bad thrown together Christmas movies. So like if that's what you're looking for, and again, time travel, technology, 
like love, love, Christmas, Alexa. 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 Um, then this is the movie for you. The A Dingle night, can night. I? Yes. GHG I hope before Christmas. Us saying Alexa triggered someone's Alexa in their home. That would be very fun. <laughs> Jokes yeah. on you guys. <laughs> Pretty soon we're going to be saying, hey, Siri, too. <laughs> now you guys are really screwed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include the links to all the good stuff. And, of course, we want to give a shout-out to Brad Goodall, who composed our podcast Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would absolutely love a rate and review. Five stars only, please. <laughs> and that's all for today, folks. Everyone say bye. Bye. bye.